Welcome to episode eight of the Challenger Bank podcast. I'm your co-host, Zach Miller. With me is... What's up? It's Josh Liggett. Partner in crime. Uh, we're here to talk about digital banking. Yeah. I've, uh, Zach, I can tell you that I was, I've been recovering from my Finn eulogy. Um, I think I'm over it. It was epic. Um, and, and now that you're over it, um, it got us thinking about... Uh, Finn obviously was not a good outcome. I mean, and maybe it deserved to be put down, but like, what really are the exit strategies for these new kinds of banks? I, yeah, I think it's a great question. So the way this also came up is I was talking to a couple of my friends about, you know, how we eulogize Finn, this, that, and we started talking about, you know, the challengers and, uh, and I, and I mentioned, yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see who buys these challengers. And one person said, Oh, well, I, why wouldn't JP Morgan buy a challenger? And I was like, the last thing I could imagine is JP Morgan buying a challenger bank? Like, I just don't think that would be a good, a good, a, a good result for anybody. Um, or maybe the company, if they offer them like a hundred billion dollars, because it's just, not. it's just not their style though. It's it. And I mean, it, it, it was their style to acquire um, standalone banks. I mean, that was, that's how JP Morgan, one of the ways JP Morgan got so big, but, um, but to buy it as a tech play, definitely doesn't seem like sort of in, in the, in the, in the Jimmy Diamond sort of repertoire. Yeah, it, it's just, it's also like, if you think about like the nature of when you're acquiring something, you're acquiring something either for the technology or for the customers, or, you know, or a little bit of both. Is, is the technology stack that unique? I would say probably not, yeah. you know, in terms of these challenger banks. And then the customers, you think about why these, you know, challenger banks were created is because people were pissed off with JP Morgan, banks like JP Morgan. So you buy, you know, N26, you onboard all your customers and they get pissed off. They're like, oh, I'm on JP Morgan. There could be a mass, you know, like exodus from the app right after the acquisition, which makes it worthless, essentially, right. or not. And I, no, but something you said there also is interesting. Like, so people, there are people who, who have antipathy towards their, their bank. Are they pissed off enough really to um, sort of leave in mass? I haven't seen that yet. Um, a lot of times, these, you know, people who have accounts at N26 Revolut, they also have accounts at, at high street banks as well. Um, so, so, so that leaves like, so, so what are the exit strategies? So one is that they continue going like they're doing and they try to build big standalone businesses. Uh, I think we've seen sort of a, a parallel in, in the robo-advisor industry. Um, they, you know, they raised billions of dollars early on. People thought they'd be standalone businesses. It turns out it's really, really hard to build those as standalone businesses. Um, there haven't really been any big exits there. And, and these guys are, you know, are, are, are they're growing. Um, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what their exit strategy is longer term, but uh, you know, they're sort of like in no man's land. I feel like, like they're not growing gangbusters in the sense that they're an Uber. Um, but they're also, they've raised enough money and I guess the, the, the flows are, are good enough that they, they can continue growing. Um, I don't know. That's, but to me, that's, that's not particularly exciting. No, it's not exciting so much. I think there, there have to be, you have to separate into two different sides, right? The first side is that things continue as they are without much change, where people are, where we don't really have metrics where banks say, a challenger banks say, we can get the unit economics right if we wanted to, but we just want to grow right now. And then like, they hit a point where they're never really hit the unit economics and, and people never, they never really, really like become entrenched and, and become really the main bank account that, that a majority of people, you know, in developed markets use. Then there, that's one side, which isn't that interesting. The second side, which is more interesting is if they can, if 
one or two or three or many of them can figure this thing out. If they can figure this thing out and if they can get to a point where the unit economics makes sense, you know, they have some open banking helps them tremendously where they have these awesome APIs and these and they turn to platforms and now they're this whole beast onto themselves with unit economics makes sense where they're making money, where they're doing all these awesome things. In that situation, it could be pretty intriguing because that like where they can where they're retaining a lot of customers. So the first obvious thing is an IPO. Uh, if they get to that point, if they then they just become the new banks, mm-hmm. um, and the banks become equal. They, they become, are, they, are they relegated to sort of a secondary, like sort of the you know the bank of the internet, which which has been going since you know I don't know twenty years, but no one really talks about it. Well, it depends. We also think about I hate using the word churn with people, but you think of the churn regarding generations. Mm. It could be that the next you know that I I don't know what. Once you get like generation, I don't even know what what people after millennials I think we start are. Gen over Z, at A again, Gen yeah. Z, double A, double A rated <laughs> generation, um, triple B. Um, so, so anyways, I, I don't know what they're. It depends how they look. It could be that you move away. That, I think Jamie Dimon spoke a little while ago that banks are going to be more advisors because to try. Then you walk into mm-hmm. a, a you know a branch. It's going to be more of a customized service. Um, you know, a, Hey, let me help you as opposed to, which is the advantage over, you know, a digital solution. So if you have a Gen Zer who really needs help in terms of, you know, uh, getting, having their hand held, then, you know, it could be that they, that the bank of the internet is still relegated, but if the bank of the internet or all these digital banks can come up with some sort of AI, you know, at scale advisory, which I've seen a bunch of stuff in terms of, um, fintech advice like fintech not even fintech just like ai chatbots that you know make it seem like you're talking to a real person and provide real advice if you get to a point where that becomes so incredibly advanced you basically can you know as a slide at a at a conference i went to what how long I, are you it waiting? just doesn't excite me no i mean i just <laughs> i don't i don't think that's enough to get me to sign up and, and i think because of that the the international or national banks don't don't feel threatened by by challenger banks yet yeah that 100 percent because it's because they haven't gotten right yet. They haven't right. shown that they could. That that's a big thing. And, and I think that's the point. I, I we don't know from where we sit today. It, it doesn't appear that they will get it right. Correct. And again, like I said, the caveat is if they don't get right, they haven't gotten it right yet. They claim they can, but they haven't yet. So if they can get it right, then it's interesting. If they if they're not getting it right, and it can, then it it seems like right now it's it's continuing exactly down the, the path you're talking about. Where like you know, of personal finance of advisors where you're just like, okay, cool. Like, this is nice, but. But I, I guess what we're kind of saying also, uh, I, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but meaning they won't get, they will get acquired because they have accounts and they have asset base, but they won't get acquired at a technology premium if they don't get it right. But like, clearly if they're a bank and they have size and, 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 and other banks are in, a, you know, in an acquisitive mode, um, they're worth looking at, but just not not at the ultra ultra premium that a technology firm that would command that they command today. Yeah, I, I, there's. We also have to talk about the regulatory aspect, which they still we're still. How long have we been waiting for a lot of them to open in all over the U.S.? Right, I, mean, I guess like, that's the question too. Like, is, is <laughs> are they really are they worth buying if they aren't if they don't actually own the underlying licenses? And and so far they haven't shown that they can get them. Even though every few weeks we mentioned last week on the podcast, it feels like we're getting closer. A couple of banks announced that they're they're weeks away from getting a U.S. license. They're um, coming. 
They're yeah. coming. It's it's happening. It is happening. It keeps happening. White White Walkers in South Park. You know they're coming. <laughs> it's happening. Um, one of the other things, and and you know, I, I don't know I, personally how well this plays out, but maybe maybe it's a PayPal or a Square. Um, that Square is definitely has applied multiple times for a uh, for banking license. It makes sense in their um, sort of ecosystem model. Maybe they buy them, but again, it's at it's it's at those premium valuations where it makes sense as an add-on. You you, you see big tech coming in and buying them. It's a possibility, but they could. I think they could very. They could do a lot of the stuff that these challenger banks are doing without, with a few APIs. Like, yeah, without it's, actually it's like, and they are collecting. I, I don't know if you know about it, but I think these technology companies have a bit of data. Um, yeah, I've heard that. If you are aware of that, um, you know they've been collecting it for some time now, um, and they and they they have information. They have customers. So, like, what exactly would the banks would they be providing? It. it I think what you, you, you're, you're hitting it very, very nicely on the head is that if they can't figure out unit economics, they can't figure out expansion, regulatory issues, all those different things, then basically you're buying a book of customers. And that's going to be like, from an investor standpoint and from a company success standpoint, that's not interesting whatsoever. If they could somehow work, and these are startups, like, we forget these challenger banks are startups like and if these can and they're at a point they're at an inflection point i i truly believe if they can figure it out then and open banking hits and they're able to move quickly and efficiently then they can really get into a a strong war with not a war but a strong sort of duel with some of the regular banks and it could be that regular banks still win at the end but it it may be interesting at that point and maybe you'll have some acquired acquisitions and maybe you'll have some interesting ipos at that point so, so that's interesting. Just speaking to the um, your your uh, description, of quote unquote, getting it right. Um, we we had an article on Tearsheet um, in June um, about at the end of June, so last week. Um, boy, the summer's going quickly. The uh, about Monzo actually published their yearly report, and um, they talked about one of the the metrics that that, that they describe uh, that Monzo describes in that report is the per user contribution margin, which is you know, in short term, uh, annual costs or profit from servicing each customer. So in 2018, that number was negative 30 pounds for Monzo. Um, one year later, um, it was positive two pounds. And uh, Monzo founder Tom Blomfield also said that um, since since February, when those metrics were, were compiled, that number has gone up to a positive five pounds. So again, I, do, I, I don't know enough to know how that compares to a regular bank. Um, but you can see the delta there uh, in just one year, um, based on 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 that's I guess a metric of gaining scale, right? So um, it'd be interesting. To see. Yeah, Monzo's you know is growing pretty 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 strongly. You know their, their customer base has pretty much doubled in a year, and um, their asset growth has has quadrupled. I mean, there, there's a lot of positive numbers here, um, but I, at this point, I it's unclear to me, and it sounds unclear to you too as well, Josh. That um, that it's unclear who who that ultimate the marginal acquirer is. Yeah, it's more like this is the more the VC of me and the investor and in me coming out is you're at an inflection point. It's unclear. I, I would say the most likely scenario is an IPO, but then when you get the IPO threat, then you could theoretically have acquirers coming out of the woodwork, which is always, from a company standpoint, it's always good to have that threat. Hey, we're going public. You know, who knows what happens then? Well, it's the unknown versus like. So that's hey, that's a really good point um, it, because it is unknown. Now, if I'm a if I'm a CEO of one of these companies, I'm looking forward. Maybe maybe the uh, the funding environment's weakening. I, I think it is weakening significantly. Um, 
what do I do now that I have a few hundred million dollars in the bank? Do I, do I gun it and put the pedal to the metal and continue to grow this thing thinking that there'll be an acquisition or IPO longer term? Or do I have to actually start to think about running a profitable business right now? Do you think we're at that point yet? I, if, if you're, if you're really, I've been thinking the sky's been falling for the past two years and I've been wrong every <laughs> single time. So I just, I don't know. I will be right at know, one point. Yeah. Was that line from like Carnegie or, 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 or whoever it would like JP Morgan, who's someone asked him for advice on the stock market. And he said, the market will fluctuate. Like, I, like, I don't know. Like, so I, I've been, I've thought that the market was going to drop off and we were going to have a huge lack in funding on the venture side. And then we see these just round after round of massive funding Mega rounds, you know, coming yeah. through the pipe. And it's just crazy. And I, I've been, we, I, I'm shocked and it's, who knows? Um, but, so it depends. It, you know, it could be a time for them to optimize, uh, at least in within certain regions, to optimize in certain regions and reach into others. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then we could, you can compartmentalize and say, listen, let's try to pedal the metal in other areas, but we know that, you know, we have a nice, nice economics, nice, nice, uh, you know, business model over here. That worst case scenario, if we need to, you know, clamp down the hatches and weather the storm, you know, for a little bit because the IPO market isn't great or the um, you know, where the funding market is great that we can, you know, stay a large company while retain, while, you know, breaking even or making a few bucks here or there. Great political answer. Come on. I'm good <laughs> at that. I really um, don't, I, like, I'm serious. No, we don't I don't, yeah. I have no idea. Like, I, I, like I said, I really thought the market, I thought last summer, I thought when the market went down December, I thought we were dead cap bounce, done, like sure, I had a short in, it was ready to go, and I freaking then all time highs. Like I, I, I just don't know what to think anymore. I really don't. So, so speaking of funding, um, Transferwise, we had an article on Tearsheet uh, this week about Transferwise launching a debit card. If you're not familiar with Transferwise, it's a it's a remittance company, global company, one of the you know first big uh, unicorns uh, in this sort of this generation of fintech companies. Um, they launch a debit card in the U.S. They have a debit card available off these accounts in other countries. The U.K. Um, it was they were a little late getting it to the U.S. market, but this was this was Telegraph. We knew this was coming. Um, but one thing I just wanted to mention, and we can move on from here, but it, you know, having that debit card attached to a TransferWise account, um, TransferWise also has uh, what's called a borderless account, which enables you to uh, basically store cash within a TransferWise account. It takes one step closer for that company to uh, to becoming sort of a, a to be used as a bank account. It's not a bank per se, but um, particularly for people that have in, uh, income from various countries or they're expatriates or whatever, like TransferWise has built a lot of goodwill with a lot of, a lot of people around the world. And in a way I see it sort of, you know, backdooring itself into becoming a global bank. Yeah, it's a great point. Uh, if we talk going back to what we like, the basic thesis of what a challenger bank is, is just having, being a transparent, you know, um, user-friendly situation like company that's basically what transferwise is you Mm -hmm. could argue a little bit on like they claim to be p2p remittance and like what is it really p2p when you look under the hood but like the fact is is that they were like really the first big one that was out there Mm -hmm. that was really disrupting you know the the western unions of the world and, and really helping a lot of people and I've spoken to people who transfer, you know, small amounts. I just try to talk to people who transfer large amounts and they all really like how it works. And they like that it gets there quickly and safely and that it's reliable and it's cheap. What, we, and what, so, what really impresses me to that point uh, with TransferWise is, is very much like the Walmart of, and the Walmart sort of 
ethos. Um, they're continuously focused, and, and I've spoken to the CEO and founders, and this is true throughout the company. They're, they just they just want to lower prices all the time to the end user, um, and that's like that's just it's they're they're totally focused on that, and like I think that people really appreciate that uh, in banking. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, you know, inside baseball, I don't know if I told this story on the podcast a little bit. I think the third article I wrote for Tearsheet back in the day um, was about N26 TransferWise and like uh, where we, I, I said, I think they're trying to kill banks and, you know, TransferWise is trying to do some really awesome stuff. And we end up talking to them and being like, yeah, and, and interviewing them. And they were like, yeah, we really, we're going after banks basically. Mm-hmm. That's like what we're trying to do. And, you know, they're doing it through the, the partnership they did with N26 a while ago, and now theoretically they could do it themselves because they've built such a loyal, fan, uh, you know, user base, which is the most important thing. So it'd be really interesting to see what happens if they, you know, especially with the relationship they have with N26. What happens if they say, "Oh, by the way, we're offering full banking now"? Because if you think about what banking or just any banking, what is banking is storing, moving, and receiving money, which is like, you know, sort of like remittance. Um, so, so uh, just a side point to what to this, um, we pulled our uh, tear sheet readers uh, a while ago and asked. These are financial professionals, um, people like our listeners, um, who they're most concerned about in terms of competition to consumer banking. Uh, we asked what about Apple, Facebook, Amazon, Google, other challenger banks, in-house challenger banks. This was before Fin um, sort of kicked the bucket and Transferwise and Transferwise. Um, at least on the consumer side, ranked pretty much in the middle of the pack, meaning the, the industry has its eye on TransferWise, is aware of their strategy, and is moderately uh, interested in seeing its competitiveness uh, over time. And um, I, I, I thought that was interesting. I mean, I don't know what, what that says ultimately, but um, they're definitely on, on the radar screen for, for, for most people. Yeah, they're definitely a sleeper. Like you said, they're definitely a sleeper that, that could fit in there. And uh one of many that, you know, you and I were throwing back and forth of different sleepers that could be in terms of challengers. Um, so, 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 so to that point, Josh, like, you know, we thought we'd end this, this episode with talking about some sleepers here. Um, you know, we're used to talking about the Revoluts and 26s, the Monzos, the Chimes. Um, are, there, are there other cha- sleeper challengers that you see, Josh, who um, over time will sort of grow into becoming like a really, really formidable challenger bank? Yeah, so the first one is ant nah, um, love ants. <laughs> i just i just love that they're sneaky and they just freaking they have a ton <laughs> of money and they keep buying like these if they're like they bought world first and and you know i don't know what they've done with that yet um you know that that's only a couple months ago when whatever they do with that thing i'm really interested to see what what it looks like um i i would not you know i'm holding my breath really to like when that comes out, what it happens, because they're a tech company. And yeah, if they get in, they're real, they're like a real tech company. And they are also really a financial services company. together. Well, like so far, I can say that at least from, from my understanding, Ant hasn't shown, they've shown interest in global expansion, but it's always to serve the end Chinese customer. Um, we I, I don't know if we've seen a change in that. But once they do, then the sky's the limit. Yeah, and that's it, it, it could get nuts. It could get nuts really quick. Yeah, they're super um, competitive. Yeah, well, that's one. So what about, what was, I like PFMs. I've been, I've been talking about this. So a lot of companies, that, that stands for personal finance management. Um, these, are, these were apps that help people sort of manage their payments, their bills, cash flows. Um, the obvious next step for a lot of those companies that had millions of users and had traction with, with the community was 
to layer in pay, actually payment and banking functionality. Um, so there you have Money Lion, um, you have Dave, who, who we covered recently on the site on Tearsheet, um, which was which had three and a half quietly had amassed three and a half million users of its personal finance tool. Um, it's now launched into a sort of full-fledged bank uh, and Digit. So companies like that, um, I think be, I think they build a lot of. They're very sticky apps on on the one hand because people need them, they use them. I think that's one of the most common use cases for banking technology today is, is helping people manage their money. That's hard. Um, and so once they, once you're doing that, um, it's very sticky. You're, you're, you've cemented yourself in sort of, you know, you're on the home screen uh, of my phone. And from there, I think it's just, it's an easy extension to start to offer me uh, loans. Obviously they, they, those, those, those apps know when I need money and I'm running short. So um, I don't know. I think those guys are all going to build um, nice businesses in that space. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a good, that could be definitely agree. Um, yeah. The other one I was thinking of, I, there were two others I was thinking of. Um, one was the big tech companies. Mm -hmm. um, I, to say, but that, so to say Fang is boring um, because we've been talking about them so much. Um, and I think that I, I would, I think you can divide into two, two parts. One are like the Fangs, which are like, just have so much money and they're just so much data and they could probably offer it like Amazon, the big one, which you told me, I think they were like pretty high, pretty high on both those. On, they, ranked, on your, they, on wrote, poll. they ranked highest in our polling on both consumer and commercial banking. The financial professionals are most concerned about Amazon getting into their businesses. Yeah. So they just, I mean, Bezos is just a, a monster. Um, he just, and they're un, like just growing and just wanting to take over the world basically, you know, as it's been well-documented. Um, so that, but that's just more from a side of power and reach and all these things. And then you have the side where people like using the app, which is more in the transfer wise, you know, idea of just gaining trust and favorability with, with users. Like I use Amazon just because it's cheap and it's fast and it's efficient. I don't necessarily use it because I'm in love with Amazon. It's just the easiest and best thing for me to use. But like, if there was an app, and this could be, this where you get into like really interesting companies, companies like Uber, um, you know, like really tech companies that are out there, um, weird stuff that, that, that's going on that just like who, like, who knows what it could be. Like just these tech companies that people really enjoy using. It could be even like Dropbox, I don't know. But mm -hmm. like, 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 like companies that people just really enjoy interacting with and interact with many and touch many times during the day or during the week and then having personal finance within that could be interesting. Um, so I a hundred percent agree with that. And that's a thematically, that's something we cover a lot about on Tearsheet. And uh, we spoke about on this thing, like what is the nature of banking? I don't necessarily need to go to a bank to be provided with banking services. So maybe I'm getting that through Uber. If I'm an Uber driver and Uber rider. Um, uh, right. So I, so, so as we've seen banking as a service, these technologies with API driven that can sort of, take banking tech uh, transactional capabilities and embed that in, in our favorite apps. Maybe I'll be do, doing my banking through, you know, through Spotify. I have no idea, but the point is I can, I can do that now today. And I think those brands have, you know, if they're smart about it, they can leverage that. Yeah. Um, the last one, I think this is a, for me, I know you had one more, but the last one for me was, and I think this is a coma patient. I don't even know if it's asleep. I think it's beyond asleep, which are unconscious. Uh -huh. unconscious which are, are telcos Interesting. Um, which which we've seen in africa um you know we've seen in africa telcos really get involved in banking but what if mm -hmm. they can pull that off you know in the u.s and europe and in, in you know developed countries 
you know, T-Mobile, you, you mentioned to me before the podcast, T-Mobile just opened up a bank, mm-hmm. you know, Verizon looking into doing financial services, all these telcos, they have tremendous reach. They have a lot of information. They have infrastructure. They have technology. Um, you know, they're probably... Maybe, maybe they, by the way, going back to our first question, maybe they're the exit strategies. Maybe they buy be, one yeah. of these guys. They could buy one of these things. Yeah, That's a great point. Yeah. That's a really good point. They, maybe they can, you know, been hearing about 5G, like who knows the, the <laughs> joke, jokes aside about turning the world into a bunch of zombies <laughs> and you know, walking dead, which I know you're a fan of, but you know, real life walking dead with, uh, with, with, uh, with, uh, with, with 5G, but like, could there be a play there with, you know, with, I don't know if there is or isn't, but it's something to think about in terms of their reach and their technology and their, and their funds that they have. That's a really good point. So I have a couple more uh, that I guess we can end the, the episode with. Um, I think investing firms, right? So we've seen, we've seen banks, challenger banks, as they start to grow and add in new services, add on investing at a certain point. We're also seeing investment firms like Stash and Robinhood that as they grow, add in uh, banking functionality. Um, their user bases are, are very sticky. Um, they've done a great job of servicing their, their clients. Um, I can see them sort of becoming uh, sort of core uh, sleeper challenger banks. Um, then, then there's PayPal and Square. I mentioned them in, in the, talking about exit strategies. Uh, PayPal more on the Venmo side and, and Square on the, on the Cash App side. We've been, we've been covering both of those on Tearsheet as well. Um, they're growing by millions of downloads. Um, they become sort of a core payment tool. Um, so once you're sitting on the core payment tool where you're gating uh, money in and money out of an account, um, you're essentially acting as a bank. Um, and so uh, they're fun to use. You'll, you'll appreciate Square's, uh, Josh, Square's ability to convert uh, cash into uh, Bitcoin very easily. Um, why, why do you say that? <laughs> and um, and they have good brands and, and, and loyalty. So uh, I think, and, and Square we know has, has been looking into acquiring a banking license. Um, and then there's a company like Card.com. I actually have a podcast coming up um, with the new CEO at Card.com. People, it doesn't necessarily have a brand name on the end, but they provide personalized uh, debit cards. Um, they've been growing like a weed, um, add, adding in billions of dollars in deposits. And um, don't know if it has like a real strong brand because um, it's really all about you as the customer and personalizing your debit card. But um, functionality-wise, it, it has all the all the functionality that a that a you know not a full bank because it doesn't have FDIC, but it, but a, but a regular uh, debit card does. You know, cash in, cash out, money movement, um, that kind of stuff. Um, so I think companies like that that just provide sort of maybe more surgical type offerings also could be a sleeper in the future. Yeah, I definitely like your uh, your Square PayPal idea, which I think that's really interesting. And obviously, we mentioned it before, but that's something that could be really could be a serious serious threat and and i'm really what what's really cool is the fact that you have all these challengers getting all this attention of being challengers and like you said there's a bunch of these you know tech companies and fintechs that are like slowly like maneuvering it's like it's like the long chess match almost Mm -hmm. you wake Um, up and all of a sudden they're they're your bank yeah, what the hell happened? You know, like how did you, like, how'd you wait, get here? <laughs> that, yeah, it's like, like wait a minute, like uh, like water on a rock, like slowly and and mm-hmm. creeping into your life and becoming sticky and becoming something that you rely upon. And I, I, that to me, I I I can't wait for the day where one of the all of a sudden like boom, the floodgates open, you know, curtain drops, and everyone realizes like, oh my gosh, like these uh, you know these guys are are here to stay, like, and they're now my bank when I didn't think they were. And I think it's worth noting, I mean, we've said this on previous episodes, like 
obviously we don't know how the tea leaves are going to play out, but like, I think ultimately consumers win at the end of all this, more options, um, more names, um, more flexibility and hopefully lower prices. So um, I think this is ultimately a, a win-win for the industry. The cynic in me says that nothing will change at the end, Aww. but the optimist, but I know you're the optimist. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I, I really, I do hope like TransferWise has been able to do with, with uh, you know, with remittances, there is going to be at a certain point, there is going to be some semblance of a race to the bottom, um, which in terms of, you know, having consumers saving money. And I think more importantly, saving money is having more transparency, more understanding of their financial, you know, in, like information in their financial day-to-day -day lives. Covered a lot of uh, ground in this episode. Yeah, man. I feel like uh, I need to take a shower. <laughs> I'm going to go take a nap. Thank you, everybody, for, <laughs> uh, for tuning in this week. Um, and we'll catch you again soon. See ya.